Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very good friend in life and a man who continues grinding behind the scenes through the second week of preseason. It's none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going, buddy? I, I'm doing pretty well. I'm really excited about our guests, so why don't you go ahead and bring him on, John? You usually take this part from me, but I will gladly introduce another friend in life, <laughs> someone who also seems to make every FSGA, FSWA, uh, Expo trip along with me. It's none other than Yahoo's own Andy Barons, who I also discovered, we don't have to say the town, but only lives a few essentially minutes blocks from me. So we need to get together at that pub actually on the corner that uh, has the name of your town in front of it too sometime. We do. We do. Uh, it, it's funny. Like we live in the same town, but it like, I, I see you all the time. I've been seeing you like every weekend, like wherever we go uh, or wherever I go, you just show up. You're at the expo, you're at flex leagues. We're drafting tonight uh, together. So everything I say today is going to be misdirection. I don't mean any of it. This is just all spin. So that Daigle doesn't know uh, who I'm actually on. So that's interesting because today's episode, of course, we will eventually, after training camp news, get into our guys. And now we have an opportunity, literally live tonight, to poach our guys from one another. <laughs> uh, sorry you will be missing out on that, Paulson. But nonetheless, we will get your favorite players to draft this year as well. First off, though, I would like to start with some training camp news at the top. And that is none other than Christian Kirk, who we finally saw his debut with the Jaguars in the team's second preseason game. And what we received on Trevor Lawrence's 39 snaps was 32 first-string snaps, the most among all of Jaguars wide receivers for Christian Kirk, including 16 from the slot and eight total targets. Paulson, actually, let's go ahead and go to Barron's, the guest of honor here. Let's start with you. Maybe this is what you expected and Kirk's usage anyhow, but did you bump him up? Did you move him in your rankings based on now that we have visual evidence on his usage? No, I was I was pretty bullish on Christian Kirk. In fact, one of the guys that I, I'd been toying with uh, discussing today was actually Trevor Lawrence. Um, I, I, like the, I like the Jags offense generally. I mean, ma making the leap from the, the single worst coaching situation, I, I don't know, that I can recall since I've been covering the NFL um, to a group of actual adults uh, uh, coaching him, I, I think is going to be incredible for Lawrence. I, I'm still a huge believer in the talent. Um, I, like We all had jokes when the Jaguars obviously spent a trillion dollars on like Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and whoever else, but um, this is this is a better receiving room. Like this is a better group of receivers than they had last year. They were they were throwing, you know, it was a couple hundred targets that went to some combination of like Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin and LaVisca Chenault. And like it's gonna be it's gonna be better. Um this, this is about what I expected for Christian Kirk. I, I love everything that I've seen and and so far read and heard about this offense. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on him and I'm I'm real bullish on Lawrence. Any additions to the rankings change log over the weekend, Paulson, which people can still gain access to on the site by using not your code, screw your code, my code, <laughs> Daigle10 for 10% off before we hit the two most important fantasy draft weekends of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think Kirk has moved up a little bit in my rankings. You know, it's just nice. To, we were expecting this sort of usage given the contract that he got. Uh and I, you know, when a receiver changes teams, I'm usually not crazy about it unless there's a role upgrade or a quarterback upgrade. Uh, and there's not really a quarterback upgrade here from Kyler Murray to Trevor Lawrence. Although if Lawrence takes a big step forward, it might be a wash, you know, quarterback wise. Uh, but it does look like a role upgrade. And he was, uh, I don't know, wide receiver 
27 last year, 26 and a half PPR. Uh, he's going off the board, wide receiver 40. Uh, you know, now he's the de facto wide receiver one in, in Jacksonville. So I think there's a little bit of value there. He's he's one of those guys in the seventh, eighth round comes around and you just kind of the, the receiver ranks are drying up a little bit. He's a he's a good target because he's a real world uh, wide receiver one, pretty talented, and he's, he's you know he's with an up and coming quarterback. I would also note that Zay Jones finished second on the team with Trevor Lawrence in that first string usage with 30 snaps behind Christian Kirk, but also. Although that's fine for 20-round leagues, we have a lot of listeners who play in deeper leagues. I just wonder how much value he actually offers for you know your typical recreational 14 to 16-round leagues and redraft, considering he hasn't recorded over 70 receiving yards and 48 of his last 49 appearances. I'm not too worried about his usage as the team's second overall receiver. Another, well, I would just I would just mention that Marvin Jones is basically free, and he was wide receiver 34 last year. He's still gonna I think play in two wide receiver sets with Kirk, and uh, you can get him. You know I don't know if his ADP is like wide receiver 140 or something ridiculous. Um, he, he's available for free at the end of the draft if you want to draft him. Any other sneaky wide receiver barons that you're trying to jam into rankings here at the end, whether it be Zay or Marvin Jones. <laughs> <laughs> or Evan Ingram, honestly, if you want to go that route. Okay, so that's the route I was going to go because speaking of free players and like we've all been, I'm sure we've all been scarred by Evan Ingram. I'm sure everybody has like, it, whether it was last year, whether it was prior seasons, we've all been scarred by Evan Ingram. It's also not that unusual for a tight end to to really pop later in his career. Um, that, that happens all the time. Pretty common for a tight end to pop with his second team, second contract and all that. Um, Evan Ingram hits my timeline pretty much every day. It's not it's not always for good reasons, right? Sometimes it's one of the Jacksonville beat writers talking about how great Trevor Lawrence looked and then there were a couple of Evan Ingram drops. That happens. Um, but he's looking for him constantly. They ran that really fun, uh, I think it was the Cleveland game in the preseason, that little bootleg thing on fourth down that went to Ingram and he plunged into the end zone. There are highlight catches here too. I mean, Evan Ingram, his whole career has been a guy who will who will blow the easy play and and make the occasional spectacular play. It, it sounds like I mean, like whatever else you think about Ingram, he's thrown himself into uh, into Jaguars camp. He's getting a lot of like first guy in, last guy out hype, um, which I you know I'm not going to complain about that. It's it's arguably better than best shape of his life hype. Um, so I've actually like. Ingram is one of those tight ends where if I don't get one of the top two guys off the board um, and I don't get one of my one of my pet guys in the middle, then I'm happy to wait uh, for Evan Ingram because I like, listen, if Evan Ingram doesn't hit for you, you're going to be able to find a, a comparable player. And as John said about Jones, he's just he's just absolutely free in drafts. It does lend confidence to that Ingram leads all tight ends in the preseason in first string snaps. Uh, you lose me. People typically lose me whenever they cite Doug Peterson's tight end finishing top 10 in scoring and five of his last seven seasons since 2014 as a head coach. Because, like, obviously, you too would scheme your tight end targets if you had Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and yeah. Dallas Goddard in their primes. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to be Evan Ingram. But the fact he is getting that preseason usage with Lawrence, that's why I'm higher on him. Because I still, in that range, want tight ends who are just going to be out there running routes and on the field constantly. Paulson, we already talked about Damian Pierce in depth last week. But a more important note, even... Then his five carries, nine and a half yards per carry from his first preseason game is that Lovey Smith then in week two of the preseason just didn't play Damian Pierce at all. Just sat him with the rest of the starters, showing us that 
they saw what they needed to see. I do think he'll get some usage here on Thursday night, pending when you're listening, in the team's final preseason game, since they are supposed to deploy all of their starters for a little bit, Brandon Cooks included. But overall, the team is trying to tell us that they are very comfortable where Pierce sits now. The question is, where are you comfortable drafting him in home leagues, knowing that his ADP is on the rise? Uh, well, he's my highest-ranked uh, Houston running back, but that's not you know, saying a whole lot. Relative. I, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think it looks like he's going to be the guy on first and second downs. Uh, you know, if they're competitive in games, you know, he might see 15 carries uh, and a catch or something like that. If it's a good week, maybe a touchdown. Um, but I mean, this is not a, a prolific rushing offense. It hasn't been for the last several years. And, you know, Rex Burkhead is still there as the receiving back. So, you know, a three down, role for Pierce is kind of unlikely. So he's, you know, he's somebody you could grab or I wouldn't feel uncomfortable grabbing him as my like RB four or something like that and hope that he hits or this offense is maybe better than what we think it's going to be on a, from a rushing standpoint, but it's just hard to get uh, behind too many players, uh, you know, on the Texans. I mean, I like Brandon cooks a lot uh, and that's just about it as far as who I'm trying to target in drafts. Aaron's are you adjusting Damian Pierce? And that obviously includes if you were behind him on him from the beginning. I don't know. Yeah, I was um, I had Damian Pierce kind of sitting in that in that like Tyler Algier range where I'm just, you know, those those are the two spots, Atlanta and Houston, right? Where if a rookie running back landed there, we were going to be really interested because they could just take it over. Um, and, and he's clearly broken away. So I've got him uh, it, like in the mid 30s among the RBs now. And I've I've drafted him there. I've I've, uh, you know, I mean, I'm in a guillotine league right now where i think i just took him like in the sixth round something like that he's also he's conveniently buried in almost every platform's uh ranks which is great because it means that like a quarter league is just going to ignore him forget about him and you can just drag him up out of nowhere so i've i've been pretty proactive on him um again i've, I've got him in a range where he's a he's as as john says i i guess i think of him more as an rb3 than i would think of him as a fourth running back like i don't i don't you know he's he's still been going a little bit after that sort of dead zone that is just an absolute minefield for running backs we don't necessarily want to take guys there he's creeping up into that um but i like, like i if i'm going to take any running back in that area give me give me an ascending young player versus somebody who's losing his grip on a job before we move on reminder you can get a hundred dollars matched up to your deposit on underdog not to mention a free four for four pro sub by using the promo code four for four but for all the details for that you can head to four for four.com slash underdog and that's important because what we've seen on underdog in the past week is that Isaiah Spiller has seen his ADP there plummet from 126 overall to 146 overall, nearly two full rounds. And that's important because Coach Brandon Staley said there's a chance Isaiah Spiller will miss the team's regular season opener against the Raiders after he suffered a quote-unquote minor ankle injury during the team's second preseason game. I also think it's important to note, Barons, that Running back Josh Kelly, for better or worse, was already reportedly firmly in the lead to back up Austin Eckler out the gates. And so, in your mind, does this do anything for Austin Eckler's stock more so than it does the darts we continue to throw to stash in deeper leagues behind Eckler? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question because I didn't really think of Spiller. I, and that's just a guy that I didn't necessarily love coming into the league. Um, so I didn't think of him as some serious threat to Austin Eckler. So, I mean, I've had Eckler in my top four, basically, um, since the process started, since the first, since my first stab at, uh, at rank in the field for, for 2022. So doesn't do a lot for me because I've just got him so close to the top of the ranks as is. Um I, the, the buzz about Kelly has really been pretty consistent, like, and it's, it's gone on for a month now. So he seems to have pretty clearly separated. And I think that happened without respect to any, uh, health consideration for, for Spiller. Spiller's one of those guys where like, if you, I don't know, you, you drafted him early and your intention was to stash him. He's just such a strong candidate to be like your first cut of the year. Like all those, all those guys who end up buried on depth charts, who are, who are rookies with maybe some talent, maybe they fall into the right situation. Even if they pop in the second half of the season, it's going to be on somebody else's roster after you drop them. Cause there's going to be three running backs and five receivers that you're excited about after week one. And you're just going to, you're going to cut loose all those spiller types. You don't get any run in the, in the opening week. I know you were already high on Eckler Paulson, but any adjustments here, including adjustments for Spiller pending where you had him ranked previously. Yeah. I don't know if this really affects Eckler a whole lot. His role is his role. He's, you know, passing down back plus a lot of carries. Uh, he's got the red zone role. Um, unless somebody came in and just completely tore it up and looked like they wanted to make a, a case for the first second down role. And I think some fantasy folks thought that Spiller was going to be that guy. Um, I had Spiller as my highest backup for the Chargers, but not particularly high. I wasn't getting him in any of my early drafts, really. Um, and then, you know, Kelly has just been bad this first two seasons. I mean, 3.2, 3.3 yards per carry. So it's a little surprising that in his third year, it's coming together for him. But um, I, I do think, like, the important question here is not really, oh, who's which one of these guys is going to give us points on a weekly basis? Because I don't think any of them are really that trustworthy. They've They've kind of run a committee behind uh, Eckler, you know, just even in a rotation with the second and third guy. Um, I think the question is, if Eckler goes down, who can we count on? I don't think we can count on any of them. It'll probably be a committee until there's some sort of hot hand. Um, and we really don't know who even leads the committee. Probably Kelly at this point, but it's really sort of up in the air. And, you know, we see rookie running backs come on in the second half of the season quite often. And it could be Spiller. He might have his chance to do that. But then there's Larry Roundtree as well, who's looked good at times. So it's, to me, it's not a, a situation that I'm really even targeting in an injury upside type pick at the end of my draft. It's just a situation I'm basically avoiding. I'm taking Eckler in the first round and kind of forgetting about the Chargers running backs after that. Initially, I was higher on Spiller and not as a, a player, explosive player in the NFL, since he did remember show up to the combine, ran a 4-6-4-40 and basically just fell down for a 20 percentile broad jump. Anyone could have done that. Um, <laughs> but at 602.17, did handle 613 touches in the SEC at Texas A&M. So I figured he'd get favoritism as that kind of Najee Harris archetype in the event Austin Eckler went down or just genuinely, as he's mentioned, didn't want to handle 200-plus touches again and then seeding the goal line role to Spiller. But now what we're seeing is that that likely is Kelly, and I too have been treating the situation like Andy you have and that I do want to draft Kelly in deeper leagues, at least in the last round, knowing that I probably won't start him, but drafting him in the last round, knowing I'm likely going to cut him after week one, at least gives us that peek at him in week one because Austin Eckler could get injured. And then suddenly we can avoid having to splurge all our fab ahead of week two on Kelly, especially if Spiller's still out. So that's the only reason I'm drafting him. I'm not moving him, on, moving him up ranks personally, though. 
And next up, we have another dipping player, even more so than Isaiah Spiller. And that's because we've reached DEFCON 1 with Alberto. After he played in the first half with a second-string offense in Denver's first preseason game, he then went on to play into the fourth freaking quarter of preseason week two. Coach Nathaniel Hackett was asked about it following the game. and He said, our tight ends are playing really well. The five guys we have playing, so we want to get a good look at all of them. There are guys who played a little more football than others. Albert is a guy who, quote, needs the reps. So here we are now, Paulson. One of our personally favorite late-round options, knowing his profile, knowing uh, the red zone threat as a big-body player he offers with Russell Wilson, who's finished top two in end-zone targets in every year since 2018. But... The coaching staff is genuinely trying to tell us maybe Alberto isn't ready for this full-time role anyways. How are you handling this news? This is so disappointing. From I agree. Breakout <laughs> stamp. Like this is just makes it makes way too much sense. I mean, Alberto is six foot six, 258 pounds, runs a four, four, nine has a hundred percentile uh, speed score at uh, player profiler. I mean, his best comparable is Vance McDonald. I mean, come on, like what more do we want out of our breakout tight end? Um, this is just, and he was a really high in his uh, yards per route run last year. I mean, everything was pointing towards a breakout with the, with Russell Wilson coming in. And for some reason or another, he just continues to slide down or we just, the, the depth chart's so murky. And it's not like the rookie uh, Dolchich is tearing it up. He's been, I think he's been out of camp. And uh, Cecil Lammy, I think, said that he's just not ready for prime time yet anyway. So you're looking at, I think, er Andrew Beck and Eric Tomlinson and these guys. It's just like, what? They just don't care about our fantasy teams or our fantasy drafts whatsoever. If they're gonna, if they're not gonna play Albert O, like to to run that team route uh, and 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 kill those linebackers on that. So he's been sliding down my breakout, you know, rankings a little bit. And you know, he's somebody I'll take a little bit later if he slides past ADP. Um, but I have a, a lot of. Albert O so far this year. So I'm trying to diversify my tight end um, portfolio, I guess, you, if you will, uh, to get off of him a little bit because it's just not not looking good. But he's a guy like he's so athletic. Uh, he has shown the receiving profile that we love that if they are, are at all lenient on his blocking, uh, he could really you know turn into a top 12 type fantasy tight end. I just it's just disappointing. I, I just don't know why you know what else to say. I don't know if you were high on Alberto's entire offseason, Andy. Uh, now's your chance, actually, to just lie to us and say you weren't. But how are you handling <laughs> this news for redraft leagues? No, I can't, I can't lie to you because, uh, John, I, I think I have Alberto in like two or three of those RT sports leagues that we've already drafted for magazines. Right, Like any magazine mock I did, I think I was the guy who took Alberto. So now I now I look like an idiot. I mean, there's just no there's, there's just no good way to spin playing in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. If you're, if you're in that situation, I can't, I can't put a positive spit on that. Um, I can't just say, Oh, we got to get him more reps. And yeah, it makes total sense. Um, it's bad. It's bad. If he's playing that, that deep into, into preseason action, it's just really bad. I like all the points John made make total sense. Um, it's the athletic profile. We like it's the quarterback. We like it's like everything was, was setting up for big season. This is just kind of a, 
civic embarrassment for Denver. It is a fantasy tragedy for me personally. Uh, it's, you know, I like these are all, you know, all, all the all the leagues that I've had in which I've drafted Albert are like industry things, magazine things. It's fine. It's not like I'm going to get personally burned by this in any league that ha- has that is highly incentivized or anything like that. But I was I was just looking forward to the season. I'd I'd also built up a case in my head that maybe the, the Tim Patrick situation can be in some way good for Alberto. And that is clearly not happening. Um, but I, I guess this just funnels more work to, to the two guys that we knew were going to get it anyway. Right. Maybe this is just the, the Judy and Sutton show and it's, and it's Javante and Melvin. What hurts me is that I was treating him as one of basically only two late round tight ends ahead of ADP that I truly thought could break out him and David Njoku. And I've explained in the past why I'm still high on Njoku, 26 year old elite athlete in a scheme, even without Deshaun Watson and quarterback with Jacoby Brissett, who have historically hammered their tight ends in the last two years, specifically under Kevin Stefanski. So I'm still high on him, but Albert. Oh yes. I was jumping up the board. ADP was never seeming to rise on him ever based on what I thought his range could be as a low-end breakout tight end one. And so that's why it hurts. So he does fall in line. I still am taking Greg Dulcich in 20-round leagues, but the worst part about all this is that, yes, that Alberto is now getting moved down the board without Dulcich even in the lineup these past two games. That hurts. I mean, I think, I think the one thing that we can start, you know, take solace in is I'm not totally writing him off because there just isn't anybody there that, is tearing it up or that he's lost his job too. We just don't know what's going on. And, and we're wondering, we're all left scratching our heads, wondering why he's playing in the fourth quarter of preseason games. I mean, he could still very well start week one and, ha- and have a breakout game. And then all of a sudden they, they don't care as much about his run blocking. A tight end who has basically been treated and garner interest as the opposite of Alberto is none other than Isaiah Likely. And we don't have to spend too much time here. Likely has, of course, caught all 12 of his targets through the first two weeks of the preseason and has been, honestly, just like fun to watch. Such an athletic specimen. Uh, He's been targeted on 66% of those routes and ranked second among every player in the preseason in yards after the catch. Is this something that stands out, Andy, to you, knowing that he could emerge maybe as Baltimore's number two receiving option, most likely their third? Yeah, I'm I'm too big a fan of Rashad Bateman to to make that case that he could actually emerge as like their number two receiving option. It, but I also think it's more than him just being like the the random I don't know who's a name from the past like Ramsey's Barden or Chaz Shillins or somebody like that who like just blows up in the preseason, catches everything, total athletic specimen, and then we don't really hear from them as soon as the regular season starts. I I, I think he's more than that, but. Unfortunately, I think it's a I think it's more of a third, fourth receiving option in an offense that really just wants to run the ball 35 times. And Paulson, that has me asking what kind of relevance would Baltimore's third receiving option like actually offer? And it's probably not much outside of 20 round tight end premium leagues. But at the same time, yes, given that even Andy only mentioned Rashad Bateman, like this situation is completely ambiguous at the wide receiver two role, thus maybe likely means more 12 personnel and they're jamming two tight ends out there more often, especially to run block in that formation, as opposed to trying even to run three wide receivers ever out there. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think uh, Andy made good points and the the question I think with this Baltimore offense is how run heavy can they actually be? I mean, we we know that they want to, that's the indication is that they want to run the ball. Like it's 2019 uh but 
will they be able to is another question. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is coming back off the ACL. Uh, the offensive line, uh, I think they did some work on it this year, but it's just not as good as it was a few years ago. So, you know, I wonder if they'll be able to run it as much as they want to run it. Uh, Gus Edwards is going to miss the first four weeks. So you've got Mike Davis, uh, Tyler Batty, and, you know, I think Justice Hill is still there. So, you know, it's not like this prolific uh, backfield like we've, we've seen in recent years, especially with Dobbins coming off the ACL. So I say all that to say this. Um, they may have to throw the ball more than they want, which makes me a little more, I mean, very bullish on Mark Andrews. I think his role is extremely secure. Uh, I think Rashad Bateman's a great talent and I'm starting to look at him more in the fifth round now, because I do think that Baltimore might have to throw the ball more than they want to. And then, you know, last round of drafts, I've been taking some James Prochet when he was lighting up camp. I've been, now I'm, we'll think about Devin du DuVernay when he's, uh, catching a couple of bombs from, uh, Lamar Jackson in camp. Uh, but very likely, we might see likely in there as the, the number maybe three option after Bateman. Uh, maybe you see DuVernay out there with uh, with Bateman and then the two tight ends and a running back, and that's their kind of their normal formation, especially with, with likely um, lighting it up in the preseason. I don't think that you're going to be looking at him as a starting fantasy tight end unless there's some sort of it, uh, injury or issue with Mark Andrews. I, I just don't think that there's enough targets uh in this offense to support more than bateman and and andrews as fantasy starters i completely agree with you having said that if i keep burning money on john U. smith in the 20th round of tight end premium leagues then why the <laughs> hell not with isaiah likely i've made worse picks in my life uh and finally before we get to our my guys i actually want to ask a quick question andy let's start with you a little impromptu because we're all still trying to figure out the fallout here with for the Cowboys offense without Tyron Smith. Uh, of course, since Tyron Smith was drafted, Cowboys sack rate has plummeted nearly double inside the red zone in particular. So are there any adjustments you think you're still making behind the scenes, whether it be for Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, uh, Jalen Tolbert, Zeke, Tony Pollard, et cetera, with this offense before we hit the regular season? Dak has been, it's interesting that you asked this. Dak has been one of those guys that ha has slid down my board a little bit for like, for no good reason. I don't have, you know, incredible justification for it. Um, that the news on Gallup hasn't been terrible. Right. Um, he, I, I'd been, I'd been super bearish on all the late season injury guys, uh, by the way, like James Robinson and Gallup and Godwin, all those guys. And, um, they're, they, they all sound like they're going to be fine. <laughs> like, so, so maybe that was, uh, so maybe that was a bit of a mistake and, and good job, modern medicine. Um, that like, that's, that's been a success for, for almost everyone. Um, but he, he's tumbled down my board a, a little bit because I don't, you know, it's, it's that, it's that second receiver that I, that I don't really trust in this offense. Um, I, I kind of believe Jerry Jones, by the way, when he's just like, yeah, we're riding Zeke and we're going to see how far the Zeke thing can, can take us. I haven't, I haven't landed a lot of Tony Pollard. I'm, I'm actually not one of those people who thinks that Tony Pollard is like orders of magnitude better than Zeke. I, 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 I believe the entire um, injury storyline was Zeke Elliott last year. I think he's a better player than he showed for much of last season. So I'm not out on him. Um, I'm certainly not out on CeeDee Lamb. I think there's a, a path for CeeDee Lamb to see like 175, 180 targets this year. Um, that is definitely in play. So he's probably the guy that I'm most interested in. The, the DAC issue, I suppose, is really just, you know, his, his first few seasons in the league, you were getting six rushing touchdowns. And like that was every year. 
Um, he, he was one of their primary goal line rushing options. Um, that, that is just clearly not the case anymore post injury. Uh, I assume, I assume that's not going to spike again, uh, in 2022. So it's mostly, it's the loss of rushing upside that is, that is done in, in DAC for me. I too don't mind drafting Tony Pollard, but to your point, for me, it's in the ninth or 10th round. And the issue is he's never there. Thus, I never get to draft. Somebody's somebody's always much higher on Pollard than that. So you just, I never get him out of default by his ADP. Paulson, any adjustments that you were still considering making? before the weekend, given this news. Yeah, Justin Edwards reached out, and it's nice having an offensive line expert on staff, by the way, who just like gives you a paragraph on an injury like this to Ty- uh, Ty- uh, Tyron Smith. But um, he had the the Cowboys ranked really high, like fifth uh, heading into the, the offensive line, uh, ranked fifth heading into the year. Um, obviously, this is a down downgrade. Uh, Tyler Smith is likely to replace him he's been playing guard he's got his own injury to deal with and now he's you know Justin's saying that the whole left side is a question mark and we've gone from a position of strength to uh kind of a question mark so he's got him he's going to re-rank soon he's thinking um 16 to 19 range now so it's a pretty big uh, pretty speaks uh drop and this is one of the reasons I was like pretty bullish about uh Ezekiel Elliott in the fourth round I mean that ADP we just haven't seen that you know Elliott available at that point I'm with Andy that uh, Elliot was kind of a victim of injury, tried to play through it. They also went super pass heavy uh, second half of the season. So both the, the touches for Elliot and for uh, Tony Pollard were actually down in the second half of the season last year. And it wasn't because Pollard was out playing Elliot or that the, t- you know, the, the touches went from Elliot to Pollard. It was just, uh, they ran the ball less. Um, so, you know, they, they keep coming out and saying, this is about Zeke Elliot. He's the centerpiece of the offense. Uh, now we have a, an offensive line that's sort of a question mark, so I'm a little less likely to say, oh, I'm just going to punt uh, running back until the fourth round and then try to grab uh, Elliott at that point because you know it's just a little less trustworthy because this, this offensive line was a position of strength. Now it's a question mark. Um, I do think that he at 27 is not dust. I think that the fan, I'm going to say it again, the fantasy football uh, community is ageist and we got to stick by our older players and we can't just start writing people off at age 27. We start doing that at 30 not at age 27. That's why I think week two is the most interesting part of the Cowboys season. Week one, they play the Bucs. Remember last year, they also opened the season Thursday night football against the Bucs, and they recorded the league's highest pass play rate for neutral game scripts for that entire week. We know how they're going to treat week one again against Tampa Bay. Week two, though, is when it gets really interesting for all these players. And I look forward to seeing that this year uh, against the Bucs in week one. Let's take a quick break, and then we will be right back with our guys for the fantasy football season. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app. Use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4 word, the number again, and presto. All right, Andy, this is the trust tree. I tried to get my mentions to the grave last week when I said Najee Harris and TG Hawkinson were the fades of fantasy football season, fades of the year, (laughs) given their ADPs. So I'm going to let you bat lead off here and you take the blame for your first of favorite players you're drafting for fantasy football this year. 
Um, Hawkinson is a good segue here because I want to, I want to talk about Amon Ross St. Brown, who I, who I have a lot of, um, and the, the process I went through when, you know, you guys suggested this podcast is I, I made sure I looked at not only my own portfolio, like who do I actually have a lot of, um, I looked at the, the little fantasy pros tool to make sure that I was actually higher on these guys than consensus. And I am, I thought it was interesting with St. Brown because I am, I am well above consensus on St. Brown and I am well below consensus on both Deandre Swift and Hawkinson. And, um, that like, that feels right to me. Like it may actually not be right, but if you're going to be really high on St. Brown, you probably should take it from somewhere. I don't, I don't think we assume that the lions offense, you know, whatever kind of good vibes you have from hard knocks. I don't think we're assuming that they're just going to be some elite offense that makes some massive leap. Um, I don't, I don't think you can bottle up uh, and, and put back on the shelf. What, St. Brown was doing over the last month and a half last year. Like that's six straight weeks with at least eight catches they did. And it wasn't just like high volume slot stuff. They had him in the backfield. Like they'd run him out wide. Like he was, he was aligned in fun ways. Um, and that was good to see. And I just don't think, I don't think you can shelve that. And I think that particularly with Swift, like Swift was a guy where you can look at a, a significant portion of his season while he was healthy and say, oh man, he was going to catch 85 balls. He was going to catch 90 balls. I don't think that's in play for him anymore. I think a lot of that probably goes to St. Brown, who was a really strong candidate for 90 catches, hundred catches. And you don't have to draft him there um, because I feel like a lot of people just have a lot of question marks attached. I get it. There's there's probably more talented players here than Jared Goff can support. I, I just think there's no way that that they go back to making uh, St. Brown any kind of bit player in this offense. So I've got a ton of him. Putting the magic back on the shelf is the phrase I like because I, I keep re referencing it as they can't bottle them back up, right? They can't put that magic yeah. back at the jar once they saw five top 10 performances and that soul-stealing six-game stretch where he won <laughs> leagues for us. And remember, until that point, he hadn't played over 80% of their snaps in any game. And then all of a sudden, he develops this magic rapport with Goff, akin to Goff's magic rapport with Cooper Cup when he was with the Rams, and averaging 1.74 yards per route run from the slot. And the best part is from that slot, as you mentioned, is that no one else can do it. Like, there's a reason why we're only talking about T.J. Hawkinson, who hasn't shown us any kind of ceiling, and D.J. Shark as the players to draft in the receiving game. None of the, neither of those players offer what Amon Ross St. Brown can do from the slot in particular. There's no one to take him off the field. So, Paulson, that's why I still think there's a teardrop off after St. Brown. The issue, or I guess for our fortune, the good news is that no one's treating it like that and jamming him back into like the fifth, sixth round of home leagues when he's proved he has a much higher ceiling than that. Yeah. I mean, I think in home leagues when, you know, your competitions looking at last year's finishes aren't going to be particularly high on St. Brown. They might remember that he went off at the end of the last, last season, but they might not. I mean, um, the chances are equally likely. Uh, I was just checked. I checked fantasy pros consensus as well. I'm, you know, they're at 30, I'm at 24. So I'm high on him as well. I've been targeting him a little bit more. I bumped him up a little bit with this hard knocks thing, because, you know, I love that he is holding grudges. I'm an all-time grudge holder. Anytime somebody <laughs> wrongs me, I remember it for 30 years. Uh, he can list off every player that went ahead of him and he uses that as motivation to get better. And it does look like, you know, very consistently go off when things are breaking down, he's looking for St. Brown. So, I do think that part of what played, I think everybody here will admit it, that part of what played into him seeing 10, 12, 13 targets at the end of last year was the fact that 
uh, Hawkinson was out of the lineup. Um, and maybe he's not going to see that sort of touch uh, target ceiling, but he doesn't need to to sort of return value where he's going right now and, and probably to advance as a in his second season. I, I think he's this is going to be I think this is going to be a pretty good offense. We've got a good offensive line, got quite a bit of talent, the receiver, as long as golf is, is serviceable, serviceable to good. Uh, then everybody, everybody, they should score some points. And they, you know, they're also a team that the defense isn't great. So they might have to throw the ball more than they, they would really like. So um, I'm pretty bullish on St. Brown as well. They have sharp football's fifth softest projected schedule as well. I still question if Jared Goff offers the ceiling this team needs to compete, but the NFC is the weakest conference by far. So maybe they can sneak in. I also know that a lot of very smart people are heavy on their over six and a half season win total. Paulson, what about your first guy you're drafting in every league? Uh, Well, I'll go with receiver as well. And I know one of your guys, uh, I was going to actually name the same guy, John, Mm. but I'm going to pass on him and I'll talk about him later, but I'll talk about my second guy in the third round that I like, which is DJ Moore. Um, really uh, one of my favorite guys to draft. I just think he's good. He's, he just hasn't been able to get off of the four touchdown uh, total for the last three years. And I just think that, and, and I, you know, I said it on the fantasy mansion podcast, but people laugh at me when I say that he's getting a huge quarterback upgrade this year, because he's going from Sam Darnold to Baker Mayfield. Now what huge doesn't need to be, you're going from a, you know, quarterback three type to a quarterback one. It just means that, your quarterback plays a lot better. And I think it should be a lot better if you're going from, you know, 14 touchdowns in a season, Sam Darnold and company to Baker Mayfield, who typically will throw, you know, 23, 25, 28 touchdowns in a season. I think we're looking at maybe an eight touchdown season for more, you know, his typical 11, 1200 yards might even grow from there. Um, Just a really good player to get there in the third round. I'm always happy to get him. Baker Mayfield, of course, before he separated his shoulder in week six, was averaging a 67% completion rate and eight and a half yards per attempt. Just stellar play prior to what he just wasn't able to do after that. What are your thoughts on DJ Moore this year, Andy? Yeah, it's it's wild, first of all, that DJ Moore going back to to college has just, I mean, he, he had a hilarious quarterback situation in Maryland, right? At, I think his final year, they they... They were down to like maybe their fourth option, something like none of them were good. Um, so he's we've not seen DJ Moore since basically he's been in the in the public sphere. He's never had a good quarterback situation. And Baker Mayfield might be as good as it's ever been. I had already um, I, I didn't give him a huge bump when Baker was was named the starter only because I'd assumed that Baker was going to be the starter. And it was a really weird. It was really weird that they pretended it was a quarterback competition. That seems unnecessary. I love the player um, having done what he's done, you know, eleven hundred yards a year again in just abysmal uh, quarterbacking situations was uh, to me that that is sort of that has like signature significance, right? Like he's going to be great. Um, if Baker Mayfield can just stay upright, stay healthy Baker, by the way, another guy as as you alluded to John, like, um, guy who, who paid the price in terms of public perception for playing through injury, right? Like it just wasn't good. Um, when he, when he wasn't healthy, it's probably the best option that like a broken Baker Mayfield may have been the best option they had. That's what they rolled with. Um, it's fine, but I think he's better than obviously what he showed last year. It's also frustrating that DJ Moore, remember, scored with that poor quarterback play at Maryland, 14 touchdowns across his last two seasons, and that's literally how many he has through four seasons in the NFL. So his profile 
was an above-average athlete who can score touchdowns, and now he is still that above-average athlete, one of only four receivers, two, with a 27% target share last year, eighth among all wideouts with 9.6 targets per game, and yet... Even in for three consecutive seasons, you mentioned 1,100 receiving yards. Also, he's seen at least 24 red zone targets in these three consecutive seasons, yet has not scored more than four touchdowns in any of those years. So I think there could be a touchdown avalanche eventually in his career. It's a lot like how George Kittle started his career as a player for some reason, being the best player at tight end who does everything across the field in the NFL, never could score touchdowns, and that avalanche hit last year following his career high in end zone targets. Like, there's going to be a year where DJ Moore hits. And that's kind of what we're waiting on because we're all debating the same thing. Like we know he's an amazing player. He know he, we know he carries his quarterback every year. We just need competent quarterback play. And competent quarterback play against one of the league's softest schedules for Sam Darnold last year in the first month of the season, that's what allowed DJ Moore to actually open the year with three touchdowns and 390 receiving yards. Of course, from week four on, he only scored one more touchdown. So that's aggravating. But when the avalanche hits, we need to be ahead of it because that's when DJ Moore is genuinely a top five, top six receiver. So I think that's what we keep debating about Paulson is just making sure we try to be ahead of the avalanche at the right ADP. Yeah, and I, I I just go back to Mayfield's averages. Like his career averages equate to four thousand and two yards, which is twelve percent over the Carolina passing yardage last year of thirty five seventy three, and then his twenty six point one touchdowns is an eighty six point two percent jump on the fourteen touchdowns last year. So I think this avalanche is coming this year, and he's you know Moore's already put up three straight seasons of eleven hundred yards. You know, this could be a 1,400, 1,500-yard season with eight touchdowns. I am going to break up the party and ruin the fun, per usual, and not mention a wide receiver right now, at least. I'm going to go with a quarterback, and that's because I want to be higher and have Jalen Hurts in every league for a multitude of reasons. We know the Eagles ran the league's highest run play rate with 33 carries per game from week six on, and that's the argument against Hurts' upside in the passing game. But remember, our job is to forecast, to prognosticate. And we know that only 21 teams recorded more rushing touchdowns than passing scores over the last decade. 2021 Eagles being one of them. And only three of those 21 offenses actually produced similar results the following year. The others, the heavy majority, averaged 6.7 more passing touchdowns the next season. And it's not like Jalen Hurts can, can't do that if this regression towards passing touchdowns hits. He has four performances with 300-plus yards in his first eight starts, which is as many as Justin Herbert had and four more than even Josh Allen achieved to start his career. And so not only do I want to be ahead of him in this sixth, seventh, eighth-round range, depending on where he's viewed in home leagues, but also that breaks up ADP-wise the RB dead zone and the leftover wide receivers that everyone's trying to draft while you instead target the running backs and wide receivers in the first six rounds. If Jalen Hurts, who legitimately has overall QB1 upside, hits in this range where he's going, you not only get Jalen Hurts the QB1 and a top three, top four player, even potentially as his floor, you get the other wide receivers and running backs that have elite talent being drafted in the first six rounds. That's why I love Jalen Hurts so much, Andy. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It's more it's more about the the cost in drafts than it is even about the player because I I don't think the 
Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go so far as to say that his profile is exactly Lamar Jackson, right? Like Lamar has thousand yard seasons, which is, which is sick for a quarterback. And I think is probably the most thrilling runner in the league, but, but Hertz is awfully close. Um, calls his own number at the goal line plenty of times, which we love. Like it not, would not be even a little bit of a surprise if Jalen Hurts rushed for, for 10 scores, 11 scores. That is totally in play. I think he's one of a, a big group of players, um, big group, seven guys, eight guys, something like that, who have plausible QB one upside. Um, I don't, I don't think we're going to see, you know, you know what else I appreciate is that you didn't, you didn't make an argument for Hertz that I've heard a few times and that I heard drunkenly from a couple people at the expo, which is that, um, this convoluted thing where like, okay, Hertz got AJ Brown. This is just like Josh Allen getting Stefan Diggs, And then he blew up and that's going to like that. Josh Allen had traits that Jalen Hurts does not have. And I, I don't think we should assume that there's that kind of gain in, in terms of uh, passing ability that's that's about to happen. Um, it's not that simple. It's great to have A.J. Brown. It's really great to take the targets that we're going to go to Jalen Rager and give those to A.J. Brown. That's amazing. Um, so that's a huge win. That alone is a win. I don't, I don't know that Jalen Hurts gets a ton better as a passer. I, I don't think we need it to happen in order for him to be the overall QB1, right? Because, again, 800 rushing yards and 10 rushing scores is in play. And if you can do that, then you just need to be, like, passable as a quarterback. Paulson, your thoughts and rankings on Jalen Hurts this year? I've had him at six this whole preseason. I'm starting to think about maybe moving him ahead of Kyler. I, and, and Kyler is what we want Jalen Hurts to become, really, um, in terms of his passing numbers and his ability, ability to run the ball. Uh, he might be in a better situation this year because the offensive line's a lot better than uh, Arizona's. Uh, and I think my big struggle with with Philly was, was a tale of two teams last year. Um, they came out of the gates pass-heavy, uh, they stunk. They were two and five and they just decided, okay, we're just going to run the ball uh, the rest of the year. And, you know, Hertz was fine in that scenario, but he was better when they were throwing the ball and, and being more aggressive downfield. Uh, they went seven and three down the stretch. So I do wonder like if they get off to a slow start and they go pass heavy again to start the year, do they kind of regress and do this again? Um, one thing that, you know, we talked about the AJ Brown or Andy talked about the AJ Brown acquisition that definitely signals what they want to be able to do better, which is throw the ball. Uh, it's always great to add like a great, uh, talented receiver. Uh, we did see what Diggs did for Josh Allen. Uh, you can kind of, if you're drunk at the FF Expo, you can kind of get behind that <laughs> argument. Uh, I wasn't there, so it wasn't me that you're quoting there. Um, but, uh, the thing that jumped out to me in preseason, I'm not always big on these preseason stats, snap counts and everything. I think there's some good information out there. I've actually talked with John offline about some of the snap counts and whether or not we should be drawing any inferences from that. Um, but the Eagles on their first drive with Hertz called the pass play on eight of eight plays. Uh, yeah, I think he had seven pass attempts and a scramble for a touchdown, which got called back or something. Um, but that sort of signals that they're not going to be run heavy at least right they're going to at least be balanced team that wants to throw the ball uh they might end up being really aggressive throwing the ball with with all the talent they have so that made me a little more bullish about the whole offense as a you know passing offense as a whole and i'm starting to think i mean i think in, uh, you know we, we've grown up playing fantasy for years and years and years ideally we'd be getting a player like jalen hurts qb 10 to qb 12 and he'd have top five upside but now we got to spend a qb6 you know draft pick on him 
uh, because everybody's sharp now on the rushing upside and all that. So that kind of sucks. But at the same time, it is fun to draft him. And I think Andy's, uh, or was it, uh, no, it was uh, John's point where you're looking at him in the sixth round. There's a little bit of a drop off at receiver there. There's certainly not a lot of appealing uh, running backs on the board at that point. I'm looking at my next, my guy in the seventh round. So it is a good spot if you, you're not sold on somebody like Adam Thielen or Alan Lazard as your uh, wide receiver three or four in the sixth round. It's a good spot to lock up uh, some upside at quarterback. It's always funny, Andy. I feel bad because Paulson will go on those slack soliloquies to me. And then uh, <laughs> having, having been doing this for a long time like him, sometimes I'll just be like buried in my own research. And I'm like, nah, like that doesn't matter. Uh, let's just move on with our <laughs> rankings like this. But he does, he gives, he gives a plus effort in those Slack conversations that should be an article to themselves. Uh, Paulson, <laughs> I actually want to spin it back to you because you mentioned it transitions to your next, my guy. So I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. And I think, you know, followers know that I'm very much on Aaron Rodgers as my QB one in the 10th or 11th or 12th or 13th round, wherever he's going now. I don't know why he's sliding that far. So I'm not going to talk about him, but if you do want to go Jalen Hurts, if you want to combine John's uh, my guy and then turn around and come back with Chase Edmonds in the seventh round as your RB2 or perhaps your RB3 if you grab two running backs early. I really think he has a lot of upside in this uh, Miami offense. Uh, Connor Allen wrote a great uh, article about it, which I've referred to multiple times, but the uh, crux of it is he's a great passing bound, uh, down back and uh, has a lot of ability in the run zone uh offense that uh, Mike McDaniel is bringing over from San Francisco. He averaged 5.8 yards per carry, which I think led the league in, in zone runs and uh, also the number one EPA per play in zone runs. So a uh, really cerebral player too. I've seen some interviews with him talking about his, uh, how he analyzes his own game and how he's trying to become better in this run blocking scheme. And uh, I love guys like that who are not only ones that hold grudges, uh, but also ones that really are, you know, continual improvement, not just out there trying to cut, collect a paycheck. Like he's really trying to get good at his craft. And then I saw, you know, five touches in the preseason. He had this wicked spin move. He caught two passes, had a, just left somebody in the dust. Uh, runs didn't look too great. I think that offensive line is a little bit of a uh, work in progress, but it's going to be better than last year. And uh, I think as a, in, especially in full PPR, but also half PPR, he's an excellent RB2. And if you can, use your seventh round pick on your RB2 that opens up so many options uh, between your anchor RB or your hero RB and, uh, you know, waiting until that seventh round. So you can draft a Jalen Hurts. You can draft a stud tight end and still get three uh, good receivers in those middle rounds. Where are you at on him, Andy? Uh, yeah, I love this call. Um, and he was, he was, he was almost on my short list for, for guys I might want to discuss in this show. Um, I, this is a, this is a really, really good call. And we're still kind of sort of giving Chase Edmonds to the, to the zero RB drafters, which is, which is wild. Cause he's, he's going to have a week one workload. Like he's going to have an early season workload. Um, and, and the nice thing is it's not, you know, of course we can worry about whether Chase Edmonds is going to be the guy when they get to the goal line. That's a fair, that's a fair concern, but he's probably going to catch 60 passes. He might, he might catch well over 60 passes. Um, there is definitely a volume receiving role here. He's tied to a quarterback who's going to feed him, I think. Um, so it, yeah, I'm on, if we're talking like 1200 scrimmage yards, um, 55, 60 catches, I'm fully on board with that. I, I think he's a, I think he's a really solid play who goes a little bit later than he ought to. And let's turn back to you for your second, my guy player you're drafting this year. 
Yeah, I feel like I need to mention again, I went through this little thing of looking at my own portfolio and then looking at where I am on guys. Um, I'm I'm way ahead of the field on Juju Smith Schuster. I'm like, I'm kind of on Juju Island here. I've got him at wide receiver 19. Um, I think he's I think he's pretty clear. Now, the important caveat here is as we speak, he's he's still been dealing with knee soreness. If that actually drags on um and, and, it, and we bump up against the start of the regular season, I may come down a little bit, but Man, um, Juju's a good player, and I feel like we have forgotten that over the past couple seasons because he has been, you know, tied to this uh, this anchor that is the late stage version of Ben Roethlisberger, right? And the average depth of target for Juju has been like four yards, five yards, something like that. He's been at the bottom of the league, um, and that's not great. But he's he's a very different player than that. Um, we've already seen in, in chiefs camp, you know, Juju making downfield plays Juju in, in intermediate areas of the field, Juju basically used everywhere. Um, I think he's really good. One, one thing I like with receivers that I'm drafting in the first, like, I don't know, six, eight rounds. Uh, I, I want them to have a prior history of success. I like that. He's got it. Um, the last time he played with an actual, like verifiably good quarterback, like the 2018 version of Ben, it was 111 catches and 1400 yards. Um, another thing I like about Juju is he's weirdly young. Um, he's 25 years old. So, uh, the, shoot, the bears just drafted a guy who's like 25 years old, right? Like, like he's, he's a year younger than Mahomes. He's basically the same age as Hardman. He's a couple years younger than MVS. Like he's, this is not an old player. We think of Juju, you know, he's entering what year six. Um, we think of him as this sort of ancient player who's surely had his best years behind him. He, he's real young. Um, and, and as John was, as John was saying earlier, like we, we shouldn't worry about this until these guys hit like 30, like 25 is definitely too young to be thinking that Juju is somehow past his prime. So assuming he comes through this knee situation, okay. Uh, Juju stepping into a situation where he can get 130 or so Patrick Mahomes targets right away. And I think what helps Paulson Juju's ADP value is that not only the McCall Horman injury, even though I didn't think he was a threat anyhow, but that Sky Moore isn't even being treated like a legitimate player on the first string offense. He's been used more at camp, at least as a gadget guy with a handful of carries. And then we've seen in their two first preseason game with Patrick Mahomes, Moore hasn't touched the field playing behind Justin Watson. So I continue also to be higher on Juju. Juju's, I'm kind of struggling with him. I, I did, I think I was on uh, just below ADP for most of the year. And then now this knee injury has kind of popped up. I just, I'm having a tough time. Uh, he's wide receiver 23 off the board at, uh, at uh, underdog going ahead of Deontay Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Rashad Bateman, Chris Godwin, Amon Ross St. Brown. Like I, I just feel more certain about these players roles uh, than I do with Smith Schuster. Um, but Andy brings up good points. I mean, we do have a 1400 yard season and uh, even going back to just 2020 when Ben Roethlisberger was a less of a shell of himself. I don't know what the <laughs> phrase is there, uh, but Juju was wide fantasy wide receiver 18 uh, with nine touchdowns, 831 yards receiving uh, 97 catches. So very low yards per catch. So he's able to do it. He was able to put post fantasy numbers, even you know not getting the ball well downfield, which he will get more of that with uh, with Patrick Mahomes. So I see the case for him. Um, I'm having a tough time moving him ahead of some of these guys because I do think that this Kansas City offense is going to be a lot of Travis Kelsey, and then it's going to be hitting the open guy. Uh, you know, similar to 
uh, what the Packers are probably going to do, where it's more about, you know, who, where you are in his reads uh, as opposed to scheming things for Tyree Kill like they used to. Um, there's definitely that upside, though. I don't think Schuster's, uh, Smith-Schuster's washed by any means or anything like that. I just don't know about target share in this offense with, you know, Valdez Scantling, uh, Sky Moore, uh, Hardman obviously is dinged up. Uh, and now we've got what Justin Watson, you know, carrying it, <laughs> starting, you know, starting in three receiver sets. So very interesting um, group. I, I'm torn on it, but Andy's ma- makes a good pitch, I think. I'll just say that I, I really like Sky Moore as a prospect, but I, I feel like a lot of the buzz in fantasy circles is just sort of wish casting about a guy that that we, we all really like, um, a really talented college player, big hands, all that. We like everything about Sky Moore. There, there's just nothing indicating that he's going to have a huge early season role. The, the argument is the non-power five player drafted in the first two rounds but also that argument literally only has two samples in Cortland Sutton and Devontae Adams. I don't want to compare Sky Moore, still a, a Mac receiver, who in two games against the Big Ten totaled 63 receiving yards for his career. Like I don't want to compare Sky Moore to those guys. So no, I've actually been very down on Sky Moore, especially in redraft leagues throughout the entire process. Uh, I will go... And join the fun again with my own wide receiver. And that's because I want to be on Michael Pittman as a top 10 player. Uh, We know that Matt Ryan was already seventh highest in on-target rate last year and finished ninth overall completion percentage from a clean pocket in comparison to Carson Wentz's 32nd and 29th rankings in those categories. And remember, Ryan did that behind an offensive line that allowed the league's highest pressure rate last year and finished dead last in pro football's focuses pass blocking efficiency metric. And so we know with competent quarterback play, Michael Pittman can have a ceiling. That's what we saw when Carson Wentz even proved he was more than just a career third stringer in the first half of last year with 9.2 yards per target to Pittman and 23 fantasy 21 fantasy points per game as the wide receiver 7 through week 9. After that is when Pittman cratered along with Wentz, averaging just 11 fantasy points per game as the wide receiver 30 in his last eight starts. So with a above average, at least even competent quarterback for the entire year, which is what I expect Matt Ryan to be. Michael Pittman showed he can be a top 10 player. And that's how I'm treating him this year, Paulson, who also, like you said, is one of your guys. Yes. I was going to actually pick Pittman. He's a fun guy to pick. He's a fun guy to talk about Uh, great route runner did really well. in Matt Harmon's reception perception study. Uh, And as you mentioned, getting a quarterback upgrade uh, entering uh, his next season where he's going to, uh, really probably grow into a, you know, a, we, we're looking for guys at this range with that. If you're going to pass on a receiver in the first round, and maybe you're looking at somebody in the third, that's going to make that leap into the top five, top eight. And I think Pittman is a candidate to do that uh, in this offense with Matt Ryan. I've got him at eight in uh, half PPR. So I'm, I'm definitely on board. Andy, what about for you knowing that Pittman does fall in that tier where you do have to confidently select them ahead of A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Marquise Marquise Brown, the list goes on and on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Wow, congrats to Marquise Brown for finding his way into that list. Okay, sorry, Um, I'm higher on Marquise (laughs) Brown. Maybe that should have been one of my guys too. Maybe it should have. Um, I've I've actually got yeah, like, but other than Marquise Brown, that's a that's a valid list for me because I've wide got, receiver six through week nine, mind you, just know that I've got I've got Keenan, 
a, I've got Keenan higher than most. Um, I like I see, and I admittedly just a few minutes ago I was talking about how anybody who's thirty years old maybe we should be concerned, and he's he's obviously he's thirty years old. He also has like five straight years uh, in which I, I think his worst season is ninety-seven receptions. Um, so I know the floor with Keenan Allen is extraordinarily high. So uh, I, I've got Keenan a little bit higher, um, but I think Pittman as a as a top ten receiver is is more than in play. Um, great talent. And he's tied to a quarterback who like the other thing is we, you know, we talk about this with Juju and I don't exactly know what the target share is going to be anywhere. Um, that is not a concern with Pittman. There is a, there's a very clear number one on the Colts and a, a total uncertainty about who the number two is. I have no idea. It might be Mo Alley Cox for all I know, but I know that the number one guy is going to be Michael Pittman. And like, there's a, you know, I talked about CD lamb having a path to 180 targets. So does Pittman. Um, told me that Michael Pittman leads the league in targets this year. I, yeah, that's that's in play. Where else would you go with the ball? Um, I, I think it's a great call. I think he's a really good player. And Pittman already finished from Wentz, ninth highest target rate in, or target share in the entire league. And as you said, no competition added around him for Ryan this offseason. Paulson, let's spin it one more time around the table and get your final guy you're drafting in every league. I'm glad we're going to do three. Uh, I did want to talk about Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, this is kind of a funny story because when I orig originally ran my projections, I had him as, you know, the Cole Beasley role basically in that offense. And he was coming in way ahead of consensus. And I, I just got beat down by the consensus drumbeat that Jamison Crowder was going to come in and take the, win the job and et cetera, et cetera. And as we know, he's, uh, McKenzie came in as the incumbent and has held on to that. Uh, Crowder was struggling with an injury to start the camp, and McKenzie's been electric. Uh, I think McKenzie actually sat out a little bit, and Crowder came in. But uh, all the beat writers say McKenzie's got that job on on lockdown, uh, and we have a we we do have a little bit of a sample of him getting starter snaps. But in two games uh, that he started with Beasley sidelined, he had six for sixty five and two touchdowns on nine targets in Week Seventeen in twenty twenty. And then he had 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown of week 16 last year. So he didn't, you know, he hasn't played starter snaps a lot, but when he's been called upon, he's been excellent. And he's obviously tied to a great quarterback and a great uh, prolific passing offense. He's not going to see any double teams in the slot playing alongside Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis, who I also like. Um, but, you know, McKenzie's ADP has not risen a whole lot. He's like wide receiver is 60 something off the board. And I think he's, got a good chance to finish 20 to 30 spots higher than that. And I would note, Andy, that preseason, first game, we saw McKenzie healthy scratched with the starters, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, and Gabriel Davis. And then more importantly, the second preseason game, when all of Buffalo starters played, McKenzie played every snap from the slot. Jameson Crowder, again, didn't come on the field until Case Keenan was there. Your thoughts on McKenzie this year? Yeah, I want to say that when Crowder did come on the field, they bumped McKenzie outside. Like I just outside, feel like yeah. McKenzie's gonna. Yeah, I feel like McKenzie's gonna play. Um, I think I think he has that Cole Beasley role. He, I like this call so much that I'm gonna have to pivot to another player when my turn comes up because I was gonna go with McKenzie. Um, like just look again, looking at at me versus expert consensus. I am in the overall. I am. 82 spots higher on Isaiah McKenzie than expert consensus. And uh, among the wide receiver ranks, I'm like 35 spots higher on McKenzie. I, I think McKenzie is probably a better version of Cole Beasley and Cole Beasley a couple years ago was fantastic. Um, if we think that Josh Allen is an MVP candidate, and I think everybody feels that way, there is, there, there is, I mean, there's clearly a path for McKenzie to outperform Gabe Davis here. 
Um, there's clearly a path for McKenzie to finish with 80, 85 receptions. The, the, as John mentioned, the limited glimpses that we've had of him in that slot role have been brilliant. They've been absolutely fantastic. So I, I think this is a wonderful call. I, I think that Allen is a player who's capable of throwing 40 touchdown passes this year. And if that happens, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a year for like three or four guys in this offense, uh, McKenzie included. And I think the ADP hasn't caught up to your ranking simply because people are still giving Jameson Crowder any light when genuinely he shouldn't have that. Uh, he should just be off boards completely unless you're drafting in large field best ball tournaments where everyone makes an excuse for every player and 20 round leagues knowing you'll probably just cut him after week one anyhow. So that's well, how I treat it. Yeah, I think Crowder should be what Emmanuel Sanders, like we, Emmanuel Sanders came in last year and everybody was reporting that he was going to start and he did and he got off to a good start and then kind of faded midseason and they started going to Gabriel Davis. But, you know, if, imagine if Manuel Sanders had got has signed and we just like, oh, we, he's going to be the, the fourth receiver. So you don't you're not out there drafting him in the 12th round or 11th round uh, with that sort of playing time. So I think that's where Crowder belongs right now, given, you know, what's happening. So you mentioned you need to pivot, Barons. Let's hear who that pivot is. I'm I'm gonna stick with a with a member of the Bills receiving core, and I'm just gonna mention Dawson Knox um, because the the savvier the the league you get in, the more experts are in it, or the more self appointed experts are in it, the more they run away from Dawson Knox. Um, and the reason they run away, of course, is is the likelihood of touchdown regression. Guy caught 49 balls last year, and nine of them were touchdowns, uh, like 71 targets, nine of them were touchdowns. Obviously, that's ridiculous. It's not the sort of touchdown rate that we necessarily expect. Um, here, here's my thing with Dawson Knox. Um, number one, he's tied to a quarterback that again, we think can win the MVP and throw like 38 or 40 touchdown passes. Number two, just a thing I like, I like to remind people about, and I tweeted a screenshot of it yesterday. Th this guy played almost the entire season with a, with a broken hand. He broke it in October, had surgery, missed a couple weeks, had 17 screws inserted in his hand. He had like a frying pan for a hand. He was literally playing one handed last year. So his usage while playing one handed, um, like I think there's a decent chance that the version of Dawson Knox that we saw last year when he was like the tight end six, I think there's a pretty good chance that he, it, we don't, he's not, he's not that bad again for years. Um, I, I think we could get a much better, like I think two handed Dawson Knox can be better than one handed Dawson Knox, I guess is where I come down on this. Those are my analytics. Um, I, I think he's a really good player who has the full trust of a great quarterback. Um, and I don't think we should be running away from him the way we are. Everyone usually yells about Knox since he did score those career-high nine touchdowns, all from inside the 20, inside the red zone, by the way, on 26 red zone targets, and treat that as automatic touchdown regression. And, and maybe that's the case. My issue, though, in that is that you are then not factoring in what you mentioned, his overall usage, because what – what you should use as the big picture takeaways is career highs and snaps, 90% and route rate, 84% route on Josh Allen's dropbacks for week two on. Because week one, he was not a full-time player. He was a part-time player. Week two on, they said, we have to get this guy involved. And then more importantly, when he returned from that hand injury over his last 10 games, he ran around on 90% of Josh Allen's dropbacks. So now you're telling me, even though touchdown regression may or may not happen, we get an every down tied in with Josh Allen. That's all I care about. That's where the conversation stops. If he scores zero touchdowns, screw it. 
I'm not chasing the results. I'm chasing you being on the field every down with Josh Allen. That's my only argument, Paulson. <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, Andy brings up good points. You bring up good points. Uh, not a player that I've been targeting a lot, but I just look at my projections. He's right there below Dallas Goddard. Uh, I, I usually have a, a, an Andrews or a Kelsey on my roster, maybe a Pitts uh, to start, and I'm just sort of ignoring the position for a while. But certainly if I miss out on those guys – He's appealing, and he's a better athlete than uh, people give him credit for. Four six four, forty yard dash, can run down the field a little bit. Eighty seventh percentile uh, speed score, and uh, you know Andy talking about two handed da- Dawson Knox being better than one handed Dawson Knox. This kind of reminds me of the J- Jameis Winston argument that LASIK Jameis, who can actually see <laughs> down the field, was going to be better than non LASIK Jameis, who's squinting at the scoreboard because he can't really see it sharply. So. Uh, you know, people laugh at laugh at that, but I actually think that Jameis uh, might surprise some people this year. But yeah, I, I agree that the two-handed uh, uh, Dawson Knox it could be appealing. And you're, you're right about the uh, the offense, the overall environment. He is the fourth, likely the fourth option in the passing game. But I think this uh, passing offense can support that many uh, fantasy starters. And with that, fantasy football is an easy game. We told you to draft Barons. Tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, they could find me at Andy Barons on Twitter. Um, I'm doing something every day at Yahoo Sports, so they can always find me there and they can check us out Sunday mornings uh, 60 minutes before kickoff when the regular season starts on Fantasy Football Live. You can find me doing something every day as a selling point I'm going to use for my career <laughs> from now on. Paulson, what else do you have coming out this week for everyone? Well, I just released uh, Paulson's Players, which is a round-by-round fantasy football draft target and shy away players uh, article. It's basically Draft Day Strategy Part 2. So if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and uh, find that on the site. And all of my in-depth fantasy team previews are available on the site and updated for the first two weeks of preseason. So a good way to catch up if you're just now getting back in the spin of things. We'll be back next week with the final off-season episode before our regular season Monday through Friday pod schedule kicks in. So until then, until that exciting moment, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.